This week's podcast brought to you by Tergiversations. You were out of town this Sunday, as you are frequently on Sundays, and I took the kids to Mass, and the priest said to great uh, applause that there would be no homily, but in lieu of the homily this week, there would be a uh, financial report from the finance chairman, and some gentleman got up in a suit and went to the uh, the podium and said, uh, started giving the financial report. And as he was doing that, I noticed that our eight-year-old sitting to my right was counting the teeth on the zipper of her winter coat. And I could hear her say, 91, 92, 93, 94. And she looked up at me when she saw me noticing her and she said, what is this guy talking about? 96, 97, 98, 99. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. I have no idea why this just popped into my brain, but. I was just thinking how I could not have married somebody who had really ugly form on their jump shot. And it wasn't until, I don't know at what point where I actually saw you shoot a basketball, but that would be the one thing. Like if a guy couldn't throw a football or just looked goofy on his jump shot, like that's the one thing I could, I could marry a guy who was very overweight or a lot of other things, but I couldn't have married somebody who um, who had a really goofy looking jump shot who wasn't a decent athlete so is there anything that that you could absolutely not have married like if I did something that was or didn't do something that you just it would have been the uh the end of it for us well there's there's always that awkward moment in any relationship where you've been dating for some amount of time and eventually you have to shoot a jump shot in front of your (laughs) betrothed but like, really? Is there any? Is I'm there serious. any? I'm serious. Was do you remember? I don't remember the first time I saw your jumper, but do you remember when that awkward moment was? Well, I mean, I had an advantage because I had already seen your jumper. Yeah, I mean, you saw my jumper long before we even, we even met. That's why I just determined to meet you. <laughs> You'd seen my passing game. You'd seen my blocking game. Everything. I'd seen your screens. Yeah. <laughs> I could set a mean screen back in the day. That's true. So, is there anything that I would have been a, would have been a deal breaker? A deal breaker, yes. Well, there have been would it be a million things? So, I mean, where where to begin? You know, somebody who doesn't read, somebody without a sense of humor, which is which is code for doesn't find me funny. Right. <laughs> right. Well, but but those are I think would be kind of typical things that many people would agree with. Um, it was, is there any kind of a thing that's a little bit different and unique that would have been something that wouldn't have let you select me? Well, I'm glad we talked about this before. I, I, I've been given time to prepare for this. Um, I'm sure there are, there are countless things. I can't think of a single one right now, but I'll come back one. to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We'll, I thought uh, we were just going to have that conversation rather than uh, put me on the spot, but I'll think of something, I'm sure. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll revisit it at the end of the podcast. Were there other things besides a jump shot that would have been deal breakers for you? Well, I, I mean, 
the the normal things, of course, like if you weren't a good human being or those sorts of things or were rude to people or whatever. But but that I, I, it was I, just I, kind I, of a unique a unique set of uh, criteria. See, I have no problem with that. You're not, <laughs> you have no problem with someone being rude or uh, a horrible human being. Yeah. Those would have been fine as long as they read Did and you say found those would you have funny. Been fine? Yes. Yes, as long as they found you funny, it would have all been okay. Speaking of um, bad jump shots, uh, we were at a high school basketball game last week where a, a, one of the teams was up by ten with like four minutes to go, so they went into the awesome stall ball. Uh, in Connecticut, there's no shot clock, eight minute quarters, and so you can just waste away the last. However many minutes you, you can you can start wasting the time away in the first quarter if you so choose. In forty two states, there's no shot. Forty two states. So I sent out my um, yearly tweet of how I think it's a disservice to high school players to not have a shot clock. And uh, anyway, needless to say, based on the feedback on Twitter, ninety nine percent of people agree with me. So I I don't think I would ever be a coach who implemented that style. I mean, unless of course you're up you know, four points with a minute to go. Okay, I think that's fair to, to waste the clock there, but four or five minutes to go? Absolutely not. Although, I have to say that this year, I've broken a couple golden rules that I have in youth sports. One of them is I believe you should only play man-to-man um, when you're, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth uh, grade. You know, seventh and eighth grade, I think it's okay to mix up some zone and and so I, I only believe in man-to-man. Well, there's one co- team I coach at, at school, a boys team, and we only get to practice once a week. We don't have much time to practice, and I've let them sit in a 2-3 zone all season just because I haven't had the time t- to teach them proper man-to-man. And every time that we go out there and sit in a 2-3 zone, it does make my stomach, stomach a little sick. And the other one is I'm completely against full-court pressure, in the younger ages again fourth fifth sixth grade because it doesn't teach kids defense it just and and most kids at that age aren't strong enough to pass over full court pressure anyway i have with our son's fifth grade team gone some full court pressure and uh one of the reasons and this is how i justified it to myself was that the team we were playing had an offense was was a pass and cutting offense where they would pass and cut for over a minute before they'd even attempt a shot. So my justification was, well, I have to speed this game up somehow. So we're we're gonna press. But uh, but anyway, a shot clock would have uh, would have solved that problem. So yeah, I've I've got to come to terms with. All right, will I ever play zone again? Will will I let these kids play full court pressing defense? Um, but it's been a conundrum for me this it, year. If you had been in favor of full court pressure in youth basketball, if you had been in favor, if you had been opposed to a shot clock in high school basketball, that would have been a deal breaker for me. I would not have wanted to date, <laughs> much less marry anybody who believed in full court pressure under age like a 12. Let me let me ask you this question, because you often run the, the little portable clock when we're at the it's youth called, games. It's called a scoreboard, but the, sure, the, the, Deme- the, denigrate it no, with no, the I'm, little I'm, portable not, clock. No, no, I'm not denigrating it at all. I just think people who are around youth sports will understand if I describe it that way. So this is my question to you, because some of the arguments for uh, that people have against having a shot clock is that you would have to hire and train shot clock operators. Now, do you think while you do this, did the scoreboard, you could also push a button anytime a shot hit the rim, uh, like, do you think you could juggle those two things without too much training and having to be paid too much? Well, I was neither hired nor trained. I, nobody's paying me, 
and I was never trained. And in fact, uh, most referees will come and and it's like using going into somebody else's house and using their remote. Many referees will just come reach over the back of the clock and, and manipulate in some way. This weekend, uh, in the final minute of the of the first quarter, the ref came over and he pressed the tenth of a second button. There's a button that converts it from full seconds to tenths of a seconds, and that I hadn't engaged that, and he didn't like that because, of course, you know, there's going to come down to a tenth of a second uh, controversy, which has never happened in, in fifth grade basketball. You can't just come over and reach over and touch another man's clock, can you? No, no, no. Um, I certainly... I certainly hope not. No, but I did see a game this weekend where... Uh, the clock operator, because when I'm not operating the clock, I'm watching the clock operator. Backseat scoreboard operating is my hobby on weekends. And uh, it was a two-point game. There were 12 seconds left, and the team that was leading was trying to kill those 12 seconds, frantically passing the ball around and trying to avoid being fouled. And uh, the, the scoreboard operator never turned the clock on. He was sort of asleep at the wheel. And the beauty of it was the team that was that was trying to kill those 12 seconds was coached by his wife. She was not terribly pleased when she saw they had killed those 12, 15, 20 seconds and the clock had never started and they had to do it over again as the crowd was baying for blood. Clock! Clock! And the ref finally blew the whistle and and, uh, got them to start the clock and they had to do it all over again. And finally, they won the game, though. They did. Their their, uh, marriage was, was safe at the end of the night. Uh, presumably, as far as we know. But enough of this idle jibber jabber. How was how was your um, the last week or so? I don't think I've seen you in that time. The last week was crazy for me, and uh, and I'm glad that the next two weeks are not. I will be home. No no more flights in my queue and my on my apps and my phone. But uh, since our last podcast, I flew out to San Francisco, called a Golden State Warriors game, which was an absolute blast. It's the first time I've ever called an NBA game. It's, I think, the first time I've seen the Golden State Warriors, uh, clearly with the seats, the kind of seats that I had for this game. What It was a delight to watch that and call that game. And then I went back to San Francisco a few days later to call Oregon at... Stanford women's basketball game. Oregon it was the best performance I've seen all season by a women's college basketball team. They, right now they're my favorite um, in terms of winning a national championship just because of how dominant they were. And then I red-eyed home to the next day call the game that, as we're recording this, happened last night where UConn, who also played great, beat South Carolina. So I've been gone a lot, uh, been away from the kids a lot, been away from you a lot. And um it was a very busy stretch, three fun games to call, but I am glad that in the next two weeks I do not have any games to call and uh, will be home not worrying about flying somewhere. Would you recommend to people who live in New England or really anywhere on the eastern seaboard to make two round trips to San Francisco in four days? And two red eyes? No. And, and the obs- Or would you recommend that they, they make the one trip, they stay out there that off day, and then... Uh, return at the end of the second game well i think it all depends on what they've got going on at home so i was in the first time when i did the nba game i was out there for 24 hours and 40 minutes because i landed at midnight the next night took off at 12 40 but when i came back it was a productive couple of days um, i got to see our daughter play high school basketball i got to coach three games in one practice on saturday before i uh before I headed back to San Francisco. So um, while it took a bit of a toll on my body, it was definitely worthwhile for me to come home 
even if it was just to see our daughter's high school JV game, that's enough for it to be worthwhile for me. Did you have a lunch in South Salido or stroll along Fisherman's Wharf? You know, Did you the, go to the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory? This this was my this was Coit my tower. This was my first trip. I uh, landed late, went to sleep, woke up. We had a, a, a production meeting for our NBA game later that day. I went back to my room and uh, and just got ready for the game. The only time I left the hotel was to go to the game, and then immediately after the game, I went to the airport. But this this was actually an interesting thing. So while I was after our, our meeting, when I was in my room, and I never do this, I never put my the TV on in hotel rooms. I don't know why. I just tend not to do that. But I put it on because it was the day before the trade deadline for the NBA. May I just inter- interrupt? Yes, and please say, interject. We may have, I may have mentioned this before, but Tom of Tom, Dick, and Harry, my brother Tom, in the hotel rooms, puts the remote in a Ziploc bag. Right. Go on. Or, or if he doesn't have that, he uses the ice bag so he doesn't have to touch the remote. Or if so. he doesn't do that, he, he puts himself in a Ziploc bag <laughs> and then he can touch anything he wants. Right. Um, no, I, I used my hand on the remote and, and ended up not getting ill. But um, So I, I put the TV on because I just wanted to hear what was being said about the NBA and trade deadlines and whatever. And so I had the, the TV on for a couple hours while I was doing work. And maybe because I don't watch much television and I don't much watch much, you know, sports talk that is also broadcast on TV. Like some of the things that were being said by people who never play sports and the way they were criticizing these players and and, and in a way where it was like they were ridiculing them and laughing at them was infuriating to me. Not only because I used to be an athlete, but also because I then had to go and perhaps see one of these guys face to face and um, and have a, you know, normal person's conversation with them after somebody who, you know, may have been on ESPN was spending the afternoon ridiculing and ripping them. So that was interesting. And then as I was sitting in the game, I think it was fourth quarter, one of the guys who was courtside started heckling um i i don't remember who exactly it was but somebody from san antonio who at that point was getting beaten pretty badly by golden state and i was just like this guy has spent a ton of money to come and watch these athletes he's helped paying these athletes salaries and he's going to stand there and uh and ridicule them and i can say this i'm i'm 99.9 sure that if i tossed him a basketball and asked him to go shoot it, he would completely eliminate himself from my 20 years ago dating pool because he did not look like he was particularly athletic. So an extramarital affair with this guy would have been off the table. Yeah, definitely off the table. (laughs) A professional athlete has to be the, uh, the biggest profession in which people ridicule and second guess and criticize you, um, for doing your job. I'm obviously, most of those things I think are in sports. Umpire or referee is up there. Sports broadcaster is certainly up there. I'm trying to think of other professions outside of sports. Politics, certainly, uh, where people mock, ridicule, question, lampoon on a daily basis. Yeah, without question. But the, the No, I'm in- trying to think of other professions, is what I'm saying. I mean, you're, you, generally, your you're local uh, anesthesiologist I hope isn't isn't being lampooned right. on a daily basis. Right. Well, yeah, and, and and the interesting thing is even though I think you're right, sports broadcasters do get a lot of criticism. It's more more it's, so than say newscasters or sure. TV actors but or film actors or musicians. But never to your face or never to their face. You know, it's kind of been since the advent of Twitter or, you know, even in print media, um, you know, but, the 
people who criticize or or uh, analyze what the the broadcasters are doing. But um, actors actors aren't in public. They're on a movie screen or on a television screen. Same same except at concerts where people pay to go. Nobody goes to a Ariana Grande concert and and heckles right. or boos, do they? I don't know. No, they no, you're it. absolutely right. No one pays. I guess sports is unique in that way, in that someone is paying money to watch you play, and then they will also boo you or heckle you. You're absolutely right. They don't. They're not going to do that at a concert. They're not going to go to see Ariana Grande and then wait. I'm going to boo her opening act or or the, close, the closest thing is the opera. There is sometimes booing and heckling and catcalling. I'm not. I'm not. I'm being serious. At the, at the opera? opera, you For- and I went to the opera once. Have we ever talked about this? We went to the Metropolitan Opera. We saw. I forget what we saw, but we enjoyed it. We dressed up for it. We were both living in New York at the time, and when we sat down, like the lady behind us was talking to the guy two rows in front of us. She had taken the train up from Pennsylvania. He had driven in from wherever, and they all they were like season ticket holders at at a Mets game or something. They all knew each other, and they only see each other at the opera. And uh, it was it was like a, a ball game in that regard. I um I remember going to the opera. I don't remember that about the people around us. Well, I do. But um but it's good to know. And I don't think in in that opera nobody was heckled, were they? I was doing my best to try to get a wave going, but no, it didn't happen. On one of my trips to San Francisco, I was upgraded to first class, and a woman and a man got on, and they were clearly together, but their seats weren't together. So the guy was like in the third row. So then the woman was in the first row, which is the bulkhead, which is not the most appealing seat because you can't keep your bag down and there's not a lot of room for your legs. So anyway, the woman who's her seat's in the first row asks the stranger who's in the third row next to her, I'm guessing husband, she said, would you switch with me to the bulkhead? And this is a red eye flight. And the guy said, I'm sorry, but I have a nonstop day when I arrive. I need to get rest in the seat. And the as woman, much as I would otherwise enjoy. Right. Well, then the woman, with, dripping with attitude, said, so do I. And I'm just sitting there across the aisle thinking, yeah, but you're not, he's not asking you for a favor. You're asking him for a favor. And she was acting like it, all entitled. Well, I have a tough day too, so you should switch your seat with mine. And um, People are unbelievable. People are unbelievable. And uh, when you landed, this was on the way to San Francisco? I don't. I think it was. It was one of my trips. How did you get from SFO to your hotel at Stanford? Well, if, if we're going to talk about transportation, then of course we have to segue into a Uber driver confession. He drives part-time. It's not his chosen profession, but it gives him a chance to share his life's lessons. It's time for the segment we call... Confessions. Before you get to that, Dr. Gary Siegel, and this is non-viewer mail here, sent me a screenshot of a tweet from at Dan J. Levy, who writes, My Uber driver just farted and rolled down the windows to air out the car. Happy Monday. <laughs> well, so I, I hope, I hope. I hope that wasn't your story. No, at least he rolled down the window. No, this is this is my story. So this is when I went out to San Francisco and I was going to Palo Alto. So I landed at 11 p.m. By the time I get to the car, it's close to midnight. Well, first of all, I go into my app, order the Uber three minutes away. Okay, great. If it's, you know, if it's 10 or 15 minutes away, I'll just go get a cab. But it's three minutes away, so I'll get this Uber. And as I'm looking at the app, all of a sudden I see... 
it go from three minutes away to, to like 10 minutes away because apparently the woman's taken a wrong turn. Eventually gets to me. I get in the car and it's about a 35 minute trip from SFO to the hotel I'm staying um, in, in Palo Alto. So as we're driving on the highway, my driver says to me, is Palo Alto south of San Jose? As she has to determine which exit to get off. You know, this, the highway is about to split. Two lanes one way, two lanes the other. And so I said, I don't know. I'm from Connecticut. And, but I put the address of the hotel into my GPS app. I use Waze. And the rest of the time, I am telling her where to go. She is the Uber driver. And she is the local and I am the one giving her directions for the next 35 minutes of how to get me to the hotel. And only compounded by the fact that every, I don't know how many seconds, I would hear all of a sudden her voice. And I realized she's either having a conversation, although I don't think that's what it was because her frequency of speech wasn't regular enough, that later on I realized... You mean the frequency... That's what she was the, the, broadcasting or how 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 often so I, I i eventually came to the conclusion that she was the whole ride while i'm telling her where to go doing voice to text that she's sending to people and it so it was it was unbelievable so that was one of the times when after i got out of the car and it says you know rate your driver i just ignored it but uh i did not give a tip well on they, that particular drive the irony of that is you were probably not more than five or ten miles from Uber headquarters when you were driving from San Jose to Palo Alto or wherever you were driving. And you would think, just in the same way that they say Guinness tastes better the closer you are to Dublin, you would think that the Uber drivers would be somehow more uh, competent the closer you are to Uber headquarters. Well, along those lines, the hotel I was staying in, so I, you know, I got in late. It was 3 a.m. my body clock time. Go to bed anyway. I wake up in the morning and I got to do some work getting ready for this game. And I go to get on uh, get online in the hotel and I keep getting a message from the hotel internet that it's down. And so to call the front desk. So I called the front desk and said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not able to get internet. Have you heard that uh, issue from other people today and she said no would you like me to send up maintenance I'm sitting there you know I haven't been awake that long I'm not in my day clothes a guy with and, a pipe wrench in yes. bib overalls would you want me to send up maintenance and I said no I don't want you to send it's, up maintenance it's an invisible thing isn't it Wi-Fi yeah, you exactly. really need a guy to come up with a toolbox uh, exactly so anyway so in Palo Alto which also has to be ground zero for everything internet I um, had to use my phone to look up a bunch of things, which is not, you know, I, I just have a normal, smallish size phone as I'm trying to do, you know, research on stats and things that aren't as easy to look at when you're on a phone. So anyway, it was it was a perfect irony of being in Palo Alto. My Uber was a mess. My hotel internet was a mess. So we're suggesting some kind of physical law that the closer you are to Silicon Valley, the greater your technological problems become I think that I think that would be the way to equate it to your Guinness story while I was gone our daughter our eight-year-old was going to a birthday party one of her friends from school had a birthday party and she needed to get a present for the birthday party and it was the night before I was leaving the next day and she wasn't going to have time and so you said that you would go to the toy store and choose a birthday present and our eight-year-old she was with me and she was very upset 
that she was not going to be able to choose this present. And I said, don't worry, dad will, dad will choose the present. And her quote was, he'll probably get a stuffed animal that's half cat, half cheetah, and half dog. And right after she said it, other than the hilarity of her math was just how ridiculous the visual was to me of a half cat, half cheetah, and half dog. And I just burst out laughing. And uh, she did a bad job of containing her smile too. But I eventually, we just went, it was kind of later on Friday night, we went to a store so she could pick out the gift just so that she wouldn't have to give her friend a half cat, half cheetah, half dog. Well, she told me that her friend liked all of those things. And I said, I'll pick out a stuffed animal. That's one of those things. But I, I, if they had one that was all of those things, of course I would have gotten it. It, it would have been awesome. Been, uh, and the kid would have loved it. That's what I said to her. I said, if they sell such a thing, I want one and I want to get it for you. Did we mention that this is a snow day today and they're all here? No, this is this this is a snow day and they're all here. And yet before the snow arrived at about 11 a.m., you went to the grocery with three of them, right? Well, I was going to the grocery and right next to the grocery, there's a TJ Maxx. And you went um, to the grocery with three of them, right? What's that? Just answer the question, witness. I went to the grocery with one of them. Okay, okay. And because I, I, I know I was home doing something else with one of the others. And when I came up, the groceries had all been brought in from the car. And you usually summon me, no matter what I'm doing or wherever I am, to bring in the groceries, the nine feet from the minivan No, that's to not the true. I usually, I would say 90% of the time, I bring the groceries in from the van to the to the house without your help. I summon you... 100% of the time to bring some of the groceries to the tertiary pantry in well, the basement. Whether I'm bringing it from the car to the kitchen or from the kitchen to the tertiary pantry, uh, my point is I, I like to do it in one trip. And even though it's nine feet from the car to the kitchen, I like to string as many yes. plastic bags, or not plastic bags, the, the recyclable bags, bags yeah. with, the, with the firm strap that's not going to break uh, as I can why is that? Why do I risk carpal tunnel or some kind of tendon injury? So you have the nine bags hanging in one hand. I don't the, know. The, the trick is to get those gallon milk cartons, it, your, 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 your hand through two of those handles, and then you, you usually end up having to carry in like a 12-pack of paper towels in your teeth. But that, it can be done. I just, and I have to say this, I don't like when you do that because I'm just waiting for one of the bags to drop and have a dozen eggs break or have um, something else, you know, all the potato chips, you know, break into little tiny crumbs. I mean, it really is nine feet from, you know, because I back the car in. It's really nine feet to get it inside the house. And I've gone to the grocery and done the shopping. And in my brain, it's, I just think, why are you doing that? What is, what is that fulfilling for you? Just make multiple trips and I don't have to worry about any of my groceries falling and breaking. There's an old saying, you have to break a few eggs to set a Guinness Book of World Records mark for carrying in groceries on a single trip. And by the same token, you back into the garage to save yourself four feet. No, I back into the garage because it's easier to get the groceries out and bring them in the house. But especially this time of year when the car is dirty and you even if you brush up against it, you get dirt all over your coat. When you back the car in, then you don't have to walk all the way around it with groceries where you're going to get dirty to get them in the house. It's it's 100 percent the only way to unload groceries is to back the car into the garage. For those of you who have never been duct taped and stored in the back of our minivan, the very back storage area, uh, it's it's piled high with fishnet 
bags full of basketballs usually and but oftentimes there's a rogue grocery that's under one of those bags after you've brought the groceries in and we don't know for a month that there's been a ham under the basketball bags and it's not a problem this time of year because it's it's freezing in the garage in summer it's an issue and I forget we had something in in the back of the van that had fallen out of a bag of the grocery store you know what it was it was what it was wasn't it? my it was, trip. A, it was a hand was fruit it was when you went to the grocery uh, and it was a tomato it was a tomato that's never happened with me okay it's time to go to the big mahogany door on the rusty hinges and open up Denny's curiosity shop Denny with one N shop with two peas. When this meets Happy Tuesday, writes producer Denny Gallagher. On Monday, James Harden extended his consecutive 30-point game streak, and Russell Westbrook secured his 10th straight game with a triple-double. Down the stretch, it could be argued that they were stat-chasing to extend their streaks. How do you guys feel about stat-chasing for an accomplishment? I will say that I played basketball in high school with a, a guy at the time, and still my best friend from um, from childhood, who was also our, our point guard, and whenever we had a, a lead, a comfortable lead at the end of the game, which was pretty much always that season, he would hold on to the ball to make sure he was the guy who was fouled and would go to the line. And he was a good free throw shooter, so the coach was happy with that, but it also padded out his stats in the box score, and that was a nice side benefit for him. But I, I, if you'd just thrown it to me, I could have been the guy who gotten fouled, and I could have had two to four more points per game. There are two things that just shout, I'm selfish, when you're watching somebody play basketball. One well, of This them wasn't is, the case with, with him. He was, he was told to secure the ball, and, okay. and he made the free throws. One of them is at the end of a game when you, the team is trying to follow you, and you have a wide-open teammate, especially if you're in the backcourt, and instead of passing to them to let more ticks go off the clock, you hold on to the ball so you can get to the free throw line. This has nothing to do with James Harden or Russell Westbrook. No, 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 no. This is just in general. Yeah, this has nothing to do with them. And the other one that shouts selfishness, and I see it far too often in college basketball and the WNBA, the clock running down, not, not the shot clock, but the game clock, and a player, instead of heaving like a half court shot, they wait till right after the buzzer sounds to heave it because they don't want to mess up their shooting percentage. So instead of just giving it a heave and seeing, you know, maybe you get your team three points, and it, and it happens consistently with certain people, they wait till right after the buzzer sounds, then they go into the shooting motion because they don't want to mess up their three percentage. And both of those things, to me, are super selfish. And, of course, having a lead, and as the clock ticks down and people are shaking hands going in and taking a layup, too, you see that every once in a while, too, which is little silly. Denny writes, Toys R Us is reportedly trying to make a comeback by Christmas. Really? Is the big box store sustainable in the era of Amazon? Um, also, have your kids ever experienced the pure bliss of walking into a toy store, or is my generation the last of the Mohicans? Our kids have experienced the, the joy of walking into Toys R Us, but I, I don't think it was as big a thrill as it would have been for us when, as a kid when that, that phenomenon was new. Uh, they still really enjoyed it because, it, I mean, it was a huge toy store that they almost never got to go to. They There's a great little toy store in a town right next to us. It's called, the toy store is called Neckers, Neckers and it's in Simsbury, Connecticut. And so it's 1947 it's, yeah, or something like that. it's been around forever, and our kids still delight. It's a small little toy store, and our kids delight in going in there to choose. It's usually to choose a birthday present when they're going to to a party. So yeah, there's still something that's so much better than going on online to find a gift and to just browse and look around and touch 
whatever toy is in the toy store. And also, each of them went to F.A.O. Schwartz in its heyday on Fifth Avenue in New York, and that place, you know, on the piano from the movie Big and all that stuff, that, that, that blew their minds. And we still have a picture of our son when he was maybe three or four, posing with Spider-Man there and making these 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 uh, muscles, and it's it's hilarious. But that place was genuinely um, mind-blowing, even if you were a grown-up. The well, other th- issue Denny raises is the big-box store sustainable in the era of Amazon makes me laugh because now now the big-box store is the underdog, and we're, we're sympathetic to the big-box store. Right. It used to be, you know, the mom-and-pop being eaten by the big box store. Now it's the, the big box store be, being eaten by Amazon. Eventually something else will come and, and eat Amazon. Talking about big box stores and also um, about toy stores, I'm trying to think like the equivalent for an adult. You know, for some men it would be going into the Apple store or to electronic store. For me, 100% it is going into a sporting goods store or a shoe store like a, that sells sneakers. I still love going into say dick sporting goods for example and um just looking around at all the sporting goods i still love looking at sneakers i can remember as a kid you know that was the place when when we would go the store was called caldor and it was kind of like a kmart and they didn't have nikes or adidas or anything like that they had these completely off-brand shoes in the shoe section but that's still where i would go over and look at whatever sneakers they had and try them on and smell them and um and so even as an adult that would that's what i would consider like my my toy store what would it um well for me it was definitely my mom would go to the southdale mall and drop me drop me at B. Dalton bookseller, yeah. and I would just sit there, and I'd pick an aisle, usually the sports aisle, but often something else, and just sit there and read until she came back. And and, and you could get through uh, a good portion of a book in the time that she was at Dayton's or something. And uh, that's still your go-to. Like if you've if you've been writing like crazy for a couple days and just need to get out of the house, you'll say to me, "I'm gonna go to Barnes and Noble or I'm going to the bookstore." That is always if you just are looking for a place to. I don't know, decompress or just if you were going to shop anywhere, it's without question going to the bookstore. And I'll usually bring a basketball and sidle up to a woman in the aisle, one of the aisles and say, hey, would you mind just letting me see your jump shot? Then <laughs> um, he asks, finally, I've recently passed another mile marker on the long road to the senior center. Denny's what, 24? Uh, in honor of the Grammys this past weekend, I was reminded of the immense global popularity of the K-pop sensations BTS. We're talking, you know, Korean boy bands. What was the first musical trend that passed you by? Do you remember the first time that when... That one, because I don't even well, know what he's talking about. Well, that one passed by, but that was not necessarily the first one. Oh, you, you have to look up K-pop. You'll, okay. you'll see a huge global phenomenon. Uh, but what was the first time you realized that, you know, there's there's oftentimes now a, a, uh, a daily double where there's a Saturday Night Live hosted by someone you've never heard of. Oh, yeah. And the musical guest is someone you've never yeah, heard of. Yeah, that happens frequently yeah. now. But do you remember, I mean, I was I was down with, uh, I didn't necessarily like, but in the 90s, grunge went to Britpop, went to... And you were down with yes, all that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was hep to it. I was, uh, I was, uh, uh, it was groovy to me. Okay. And, um, and then even as in the, as the new millennium uh, dawned, and you and I met, and you were playing all kinds of hip hop that I was not previously familiar with. I was I was uh, aware of it, and knew who Jay Z was and stuff. At some point, I would say, fifteen years ago, I just uh, fourteen years well, ago because that's when we had our oldest kid. Yeah. I, I completely out of it. And now, 
that that kid is 14 yes. and I drive her to school every day, I hear everything that's that's, that's currently uh, that's exactly what I was I was going to say is we had like a 13 year blind spot our oldest was born and um, sometimes I would be out calling games especially WNBA games and they'd be playing music and it was a song I'd never heard before and I'd look at Ryan Rucco um, who was a younger guy who and, and just say I really like this song and he'd say oh yeah it's by whoever and it was really popular a year or two ago <laughs> and uh, but now that our older daughter would, you know, that's, I feel like I, when I go to WNBA games or I hear music, at least I'm exposed to it now because of her. Um, this morning, she, she just said, oh, Ariana Grande's new album is so much better than her last one. Her last one she you. put out like six months right. ago, right? Um, so anyway, at least I feel, you know, part of that. Although what's kind of been weird is that our, now that our youngest is eight years old, like there was a stretch of a good... I don't know, 12 years that I knew everything that was available to little kids. You know, we when they were uh, super popular, Backyardigans or Peppa Pig or all that. And now when I hear people with younger children talk about the shows that are on, stuff I've never heard of. And that's a little weird because I felt so in tune with four-year-old pop culture for a really but long a, a time and now i'm still, out of it i think peppa pig is still popular and sure but, but there's new stuff that you and i haven't heard of right. that exists you know and we were so so hip to that world for so long <laughs> denny signs off with bonus this week in disney reboots the trailer for the live action aladdin was released uh, he enclosed the link and i watched it is will smith denny asks is will smith as the genie terrifying p.s the only answer is yes uh, will smith is a big He's the genie, live-action genie in Atlanta, and he's a bit disturbing. I don't know how many years ago this was, but I have a Will Smith story. I was flying from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. I don't remember what it was for. And I got on the plane, and I happened to be in first class for whatever event I was doing. And and me actually, I must have been going L.A. to Philadelphia, as I think about it, because it was a nighttime flight. And I was sitting in my seat and all of a sudden somebody came and said to me, would you mind switching seats with me? And I think it actually put, to bring this full circle, I think it put me in the bulkhead row. Would you mind sitting, switching seats with me so I can sit next to my son? I was next to a younger boy. And I look up and I realize it was Will Smith. And, uh, and I just look up and I said, hey, and he, and he was a big basketball fan. And he looked at me and I said, hey. So anyway, it was his son, Jaden who is now a, a grown adult and a star in his own right. And uh, I switched seats with Will Smith so that he could sit uh, sit next to his son. And I did not say, I have a big day tomorrow, too. I just smiled. Say, and, I, uh, have a, I have a uh, live-action blockbuster that I'm releasing <laughs> right. tomorrow as well. Right. And uh, the little bit I saw uh, from the trailer of Will Smith as Aladdin, it was somewhat disturbing but i have to say i just because of that one interaction with will smith when he was delightful and sweet and nice and and extra points because he recognized me um i will go see aladdin and i i, I will i will not criticize it I'm or not criticizing until, I think he, the, until well, i've seen the, the movie the genie in atlanta is meant to be terrifying disturbing whatever the genie no? in atlanta yeah the genie the genie in atlanta is uh Somebody else entirely. All right, let's close the curiosity shop and go straight to viewer mail. Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. 
Our first viewer mail comes to ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Before I get to that, let me say that um, I mentioned Dr. Gary Siegel earlier. He sends a photograph of his uh, uh, granddaughter, four-month-old Miriam, in Absolutely New Orleans. Absolutely adorable little adorable. girl. Adorable. She's wearing a ball and chain magnet, however, on her on her belly button. She's also wearing a onesie, and then on top of that is the ball and chain magnet. So you think it's resting on it? It's not actually stuck to her. No, I, I don't think she has because metal she, she, inside her. Body. I've heard of an iron deficiency. This might be an iron surplus <laughs> if if the magnet's sticking to her. Uh, anyway, Doctor Siegel says if we get near Gate B thirty three at Hartsfield Jackson when he's flying to New Orleans, uh, he will check it out and be in touch. That's where the animal relief station is right in oh that reminds me when I, I when i flew out to san francisco i went through charlotte and there's an animal relief station there it's a fire hydrant on fake grass i took a picture of it and i will post that to our twitter handle at ball and chain well, pod we've got much more on on animal relief areas okay, here in let's hear here it. in um viewer mail so mark in dallas writes that um hello rebecca and steve my wife saw this he encloses a, a screenshot of a story about miniature horses used as service animals so be on the lookout for miniature horses during your travels coming to an airport near you question mark we may need a bigger service animal relief area did you know that miniature horses could be service animals well i have somebody who can probably answer that better than better than either of us because we have another viewer mail from kathy kathy with a c kathy writes and i'm going to read this entire email okay This is to ballandchainpot at gmail.com. Hi, Rebecca and Steve. I had to laugh when the discussion of the dog relief area came up two weeks in a row on the podcast. Or would Steve interrupt me to say, you mean two consecutive weeks? Anyway, I'm an airport dog relief area expert, as I'm blind. I have a gorgeous Fidelco guide dog and travel fairly frequently. So we have a frequent flying blind person with a Fidelco guide dog. Okay. Who would be more of an expert? Let me just say, no one walks through the airport looking for a place to dispose of dog poop. I think this was the issue at at the Atlanta airport. It's a long way to the food area. Yes. The dog relief areas usually have the requisite AstroTurf, fire hydrant, water supply to rinse the area, poop bags, and a garbage can, as you experienced in Charlotte. Right, Rebecca? Yes. So here's some dog relief area trivia, writes Kathy. Phoenix Airport. Great central location between the men's and women's bathroom next to gate B2. That would be Sky Harbor, right? Yeah. The great airport name. Minneapolis, St. Paul, hidden in a room underneath a stairwell, and you have to get the key. Maybe that's changed, but seriously, they used to lock the room. This is like when you go to Starbucks and you have to be a customer to use the bathroom. Shouldn't the dog be enough to prove that you need to use the dog relief area? San Luis Obispo, California Airport, wonderful outside location after you go through security, but before you go to the gate. D.C., Reagan National, old school, still have to exit security and go outside. Who knew that, you know, this whole world existed? Rebecca, Kathy writes, I actually had a three-second conversation with you once. I wasn't blind with a guide dog back then. I think you were a sophomore at UConn, and I was just starting to follow the UConn women. I grew up in northern Connecticut. It was a game where I believe you broke your nose. I left a few minutes early, and you were standing alone outside on the curb waiting for a ride. Parentheses to the hospital, question mark. I asked if you were okay. You said yes. I walked away thinking, so much for superstar treatment. I've been following UConn ever since and went to see them play at Cal Berkeley this year because I now live on the West Coast. I love the podcast mostly because I love your values. Seriously, very family-focused, but still able to laugh. We need more of that in this world. Thank you, Kathy. Now, did was UConn, I know the UConn program has, has come up in the world since uh, you were there in the 90s. Uh, you never flew charter until you flew to the Final Four and all that. But did they really make you hail a cab to the hospital when you were injured 
at this at the Civic Center, I presume. There's a couple things within this email that I need to you, you did I break your nose, discuss. Right? I did break my nose. This was when I was a junior in college, and I remember uh, I don't remember how I got there, but I I do. It was our trainer. I was probably waiting for our trainer to pull this car around to drive me to the hospital. That's how you got to the hospital. You waited at the curb and probably pulled around to after pick you up after the game. But this is what's in the interesting. Was part your of the trainer story. coming from home? Wasn't at the it game. It was right after the okay. game, so he probably had to tend to the other players who right. needed whatever, and so they took me to the hospital. And when I went to the hospital with my broken nose, they were at least going to get my nose back to the middle of my face, but we weren't going to do the surgery. I think till after the season. So anyway, to numb up my nose a little bit, they put a little bit of codeine or co- some cocaine derivative on like a, um, a swab that they used in the area. So it did, not, it did not affect me in any way other than it was supposed to help um, numb that area. And I'm only telling this story because this was my junior year. The summer between my junior and senior year, I tried out for a USA basketball team. And uh, so it was probably a month after I broke my nose. And when you try out for a USA basketball team, they drug test you. And anyway, you're telling me, even even though I disclosed on the form, I had a broken nose. They used this when they reset my nose. I failed the drug test and it disqualified me. Um, it would it, it, I, I believe I didn't make the team. But if I had, it would have disqualified me from competing, even though it was a doctor. I had I alerted them, whatever else. So if anyone ever asks if I failed a drug test, I failed a drug test between my junior and senior years of college because of the incident that she's talking about. So, do you remember chatting with Kathy at the curb as you waited for I your ride? I don't remember to the chatting with Kathy, but I, I have a couple questions. So, how does Kathy, with a seeing eye dog, feel about, you know, what if she has to wait in line because somebody with an emotional support dog, um, you know, needs to use the the one fire hydrant at an airport. Or worse, if somebody without an emotional support <laughs> animal needs to use the fire hydrant. Right. And the other thing is, she said she went to see the Yukon women this year at Berkeley. So I'm interested to know, uh, obviously she's visually impaired, what, an ex- what the experience is like, you know, just your... It must be so much about the sounds, like, you know, the sounds of the players communicating with one another, the sounds of the coaches yelling, the, you know, the sneakers squeaking, the fans cheering. Um, it must be such a different experience when you're relying more on sound than on sight to watch a sporting event. So it's just interesting to me that, that she said she went to, to that game um, because I wonder what that experience is like for somebody who has visual impairment. Well, maybe Kathy will let us know next week. I've got a couple of quick hits here. Uh, I hope Rebecca watched BT, Big Ten Network's Passion and Perseverance, 1999 Purdue women's basketball. She has a non-speaking appearance. She looks the same today, and that was 20 years ago. Have you seen that on the Big Ten Network? I haven't. I was, um, that was back when I was doing studio the, the first time around, so uh, I would have been at the Final Four. So I'm, I'm curious to know what my cameo was. Was that the Purdue National Champion team? Yes, definitely. Katie Douglas? Yep. Okay. Dear Rebecca and Steve, writes Colleen in Del Rio, Texas, Steve needs to write the book suggested by your son with your son. Now my, our son suggested a, a children's the book, buzzer. The Buzzer Broke My Brain. Yeah. Even if it's just a book for the two of you to enjoy, that's a father-son project waiting to happen. And I love when this happens because also in the Gmail queue, this comes from Michael. I know Michael in Kansas City. Michael is a writer, radio host, raconteur, and all-around bon vivant. And Michael writes, I've written the children's book that Steve wants to read. 
Now I need an illustrator. Shall I read it to you, Rebecca? Yes, please. The buzzer broke my brain. It filled my head with pain. As I sat beneath the scoreboard, it screeched till I said, Dear Lord, it's driving me insane. At timeouts and ends of quarters, it barks its buzzy orders. At each player's substitution, this awful noise pollution assaults the team's supporters. I have three sisters and a brother, and I'm told by our mother that I must attend their ball games. Not some, she says, but all games. It's one after another. There's soccer in the fall, and then there's basketball, and lacrosse and track and hockey, and my brother thinks he's Rocky, so add boxing, but that's not all. There's swimming and there's tennis. These games, they are a menace. All these buzzers and these whistles attack my ears like missiles. They're going to deafen us. Deafen us. Got to rhyme with tennis. Now me, I'm not athletic. I like the arts. I'm more poetic. So now I've joined a band, and tonight they'll understand and perhaps be sympathetic. When in their beds they settle and off to dreams they pedal, I practice like a champ. I'll plug into my amp and play some heavy metal. This is phenomenal. Michael, I mean, that's wonderful. It would, the only thing I could suggest to make it slightly better, which is absurd because it's, my, my, because Michael, it's awesome. Imagine, imagine uh, being is, married to this woman and no, being no. a writer uh, yourself, <laughs> you would understand. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. He would have completely won my heart if he had something in there about the shot clock buzzer. Oh, I thought you were going to say if he had a better jump shot form, <laughs> yeah. better form in his jump shot. He does, he does uh, go on to disparage his own work here. Hopefully in a place or two, some good drawing can save some bad writing. For instance, I think the terrible pedal rhyme can be salvaged by images of the kids dreaming of riding bikes. Also, you really have to lean into the second syllable, defenus, to make that one work with tennis and menace. Sincerely, Michael, friend of the pod. Thank you, Michael. I, I wish you'd showed this to me sooner because our eight-year-old today on, on this snow day spent it like she does many snow days saying, what can I do? And you give her one project or one arts and crafts thing, and then as soon as it's completed, what can I do? I could have given her that and asked her to draw, to illustrate that that book, and that would have taken up um, at least 10 or 12 minutes of her time. There will be other snow days, I'm sure. Um, Jerry, with a G and two R's, writes, who knew? This is in reference to uh, last week or the week before we talked about the uh, having an LED uh, a readout in your car window yes. to send messages to other motorists. Who knew? And he encloses a link to a 17 by 4.3 inch scrolling LED car sign that suction cups to your rear window and can spell out a scrolling message like on a uh, like on a ticker in Times Square. Eight letters, eight characters displayed at a time. And in this photograph, absurdly, the word that they have is welcome. <laughs> Well, that's I can think of another eight-character uh, um, sh- yes. phrase with a space in between that would probably be more likely to be spelled out, but uh, amazing. It's crazy. I may have to get one of those. All right, I'm going to go to, to Twitter, which again is at Ball and Chain Pod, and this is from Tina. And uh, a couple people actually pointed out the fact that you use the word grinder in the uh, in our podcast, not talking about the app, but talking about the Subway sandwich. And she said. I live on the West Coast now and love the podcast because of the Connecticut stuff you talk about without thinking about it. Most recently, you mentioned Grinders, also places like Friendlies and Caldor. Anyway, thanks for this weekly reminder of where I spent the first 18 years of my life, and this is my favorite. P.S. Yes, Steve interrupts a lot, but since it has been called out, it has drastically gone down. Well, let's see, I, there there is still room for not not there's plenty of room for improvement but there I, i'm still able to change at this like the advanced decrepit age this is from roger and he just starts grinders exclamation mark you lost a lot of the nation who had no idea what a grinder is but funny 40 years ago in college i went to lauderdale in spring break and there was a guy at the subway down there that said quote you guys are from connecticut 
simply because we said grinders. Carol in in Seminole, Florida writes, not only do I love your podcast, but I've played a few in the car and now my husband is hooked. Uh, sorry your basement studio is so cold. Why not buy a space heater to use when you're recording your broadcast? Costco should have them up there. I've never thought of that, but not a bad idea. We're sitting down here freezing on the snow day. I concur with the person who rec- recommended that you view The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Many people have told us to watch this. We still haven't watched it since it's great. But I do caution, writes Carol, I do caution that one or two characters routinely use language you would not want your children using. And I would only respond, Carol, that unfortunately there are one or two characters in our house who use language <laughs> I wouldn't want the children using. Both of those characters would be you. Um, here, This is from Bobby. Bobby's because we've talked about um, flashing headlights, you know, to a alert someone that yes. there's a policeman ahead. Actually, this past week I was driving, somebody flashed their headlights. It was around one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, I slowed down and yes, up just up ahead was a police car. But anyway, Bobby writes, another reason to flash headlights, warning that a deer is ahead. And around these parts, we see deer frequently. We see bears on occasion. Um, but that's a good one to, to get people to slow down um, if there might be a deer and his or her family crossing the street. Well, funny you should mention that because Denise in Glastonbury, our staff birder here in Connecticut, writes an email, but I'm first going to read the PS. PS, with regard to headlight flashing warning about law enforcement presence, you'll be happy to know that in Connecticut, the right to do this has been legally upheld in a court case brought by a lawyer, by a lawyer named Barbieri, although I don't think it ever went up on appeal. So you have a legal right in Connecticut, according to our staff birder, and who would know better the laws of, of uh, the state roads than, than our staff than our birder. birder. You have the legal right to do that. But if I can get to the body of, of uh, Denise's email, um, she's very much looking forward to the release of Knights in White Castle. Thank you, Denise. That comes out in May. The obvious delight both of you show for the twists and turns of the English language prompts me to share my new favorite word, tergiversations. Like conversations, but without the con. Instead, it's T-E-R-G-I-V, tergiversations which I just ran across in Muriel Sparks' 1988 novel, A A Far Cry from Kensington, and had to look up in the dictionary. And then, just like when you learn a new fact and immediately discover everyone else has known this for decades, I saw the same word in an essay by George F. Will. And she includes the two passages, one from the Muriel Sparks' novel and the other from George Will's column. And uh, do you know what tergiversations, a tergiversation is? No. And before you tell me, did you know what it was before we got this viewer mail? Um, I, I, was, I had planned to play it like I did, but I, absolutely not. No, okay. I had to look it up. Evasion of straightforward action or clear-cut, or, or, or evasion of a clear-cut statement, basically. So anytime you see a politician answering a, a question in a press conference, it, it often becomes a tergiversation. I wonder if I could get that into a telecast. Like if a if a coach is questioning a referee on a call and she goes over to talk with him or her, if I can say, you know, I think the rever- referee is engaging in tergiversations. It, it, or, or, or your sideline interview could be the halftime or postgame tergiversation with, <laughs> with the coach. ESPN Sunday night tergiversation. <laughs> Amira Sparks' uh, quote is, his writings writhe and ached with twists and turns and tergiversations. George Will, referring to Lindsey Graham, during the government shutdown, Graham's tergiversations, sorry, this is the precise word, have amazed. And he did have the clause, sorry, this is the precise word. Thank you, Denise. I've Uh, got something from Ivy, and this is fascinating. She sends me a text that she's on a plane and somebody has a cello, because we talked, of course, a couple weeks ago about the emotional support cello. And then she sends me a second tweet that says, a second cello just arrived on board. 
Apparently, they have FAA-designated seats. It caused a bit of a brouhaha with a claustrophobic woman. So somebody, a passenger, must have been sitting next to a cello, and it made her claustrophobic. And I can be a bit claustrophobic, but I think I would be just fine with the well, cello. This, this woman clearly would have been fine with our emotional support flute or our emotional support how would you have felt harmonica. If you were, how would you have felt if you were in a middle seat in coach? And you were flanked by by two celli. Well, I, I don't think I don't think the celli were flanking her um, because the celli the ce- one of the the celli would have to be sitting with their their emotional support human. No, I would think no more than you have to be sitting with your your own family. Of course not. Can you imagine if you were? Um, I would buy an aisle seat between... for myself and a middle seat for the cello or an aisle seat for the cello somewhere near the front of the plane. You, you wouldn't want to sit with it. Actually, I'm going to go back to the, the when we were talking about the emotional support dogs or pet or horse. Um, Holly Rowe, we were together. We, we did the game together in Palo Alto. We went out to eat with uh, Beth Moens and our producer, Brad Wilson. All great people, a really enjoyable meal. Anyway, in, in the conversation, Holly Rowe was talking about, you know, some people bring on really big emotional support pets and they have to sit at your you know they end up sitting at your feet if you're sitting next to them and just how that can be a challenge as a traveler and (laughs) I get on my red eye I land and I I look at my phone and I have a text from Holly and her text said the travel department forgot to get me a first class sheet she too was red eyeing to Dallas to do a game the next day and she said I'm not only sitting next to a very large human in coach, but they have a emotional support dog that's laying at my feet. <laughs> so it was a it was a great start to my day. Was reading that text from Holly Rowe. Well, we we've had the Holly Rowe minute uh, in previous podcasts. I think we should start a new segment, Holly's Row, in which she uh, reports <laughs> in about who what's she's going on because she's uh, on a flight virtually every other day, yes. right? Uh, yeah, at let's least let's that. get uh, producer Danny Gallagher on that sponsored segment, Holly's Row. Rebecca and Steve writes, Rachel, a huge announcement by Maya Moore today. This is uh, last Tuesday. What are your thoughts, Rebecca, about Maya Moore not playing in the WNBA this season? Perhaps it's league's best player. What is the impact on the WNBA and Minnesota Lynx? Looking forward to the podcast, Rachel in Idaho. Yeah, that, that was a bit of a surprise well, to if, a lot of people. Maya Moore has said she's not playing this season. If I may just interrupt, and I'm sorry, my favorite part of this email is the salutation. I didn't read that. Rebecca and Steve, parentheses, mainly Rebecca. And nothing, <laughs> she doesn't want to know how you feel nothing about Nothing sums up my life out. better than this. Salutation. This is the story of my, of my married life. Rebecca and Steve, mainly Rebecca. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to say how you feel about it. No, but, no, uh, I won't. Yeah, Maya my, my surprised people. She said she's going to focus on her ministry. She didn't elaborate on what that ministry was. Um but this is a woman who has done more than most people in in her women's basketball career, whether it was in college or in the WNBA. She's been a champion at every level. She goes overseas every year and plays, generally wins championships, whether it's in China or Russia or whichever team she's playing for. But yeah, a bit, a bit of a surprise to most people that she's decided not to play this year, that she hasn't retired. She's just said she's not playing this year. It affects Minnesota in a huge way because the Lynx, because uh, Lindsey Whalen retired after last season. Uh, Maya was a mainstay in their starting lineup. Um, You know, they have Rebecca Brunson, Simone Augustus, and Sylvia Fowles all returning. So they will be good. But, um, you know, this could be a 
rare down year uh, for the Minnesota Lynx, although their coach Cheryl Reeve is one of the best in the WNBA. They have terrific fans. You know, we'll see what happens with the draft. They've they've they signed Demiris Duntis, a very good Brazilian player, this offseason. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. If Maya will come back, and if she does come back, if it'll be in Minnesota, she's given no indication that she wants to go anywhere else. But uh, yeah, it was big big news in the WNBA. Um, last couple of quick ones here. Um, Ralph in Maryland. Hi, Ruth, Steva, and Denny. If you are not going to post the podcast to the Twitter feeds, please just tell me. It seems to me it's the best way to get new viewers. Will we make sure to post the podcast? At you least know, not the what's the ball and chain you, Twitter handle? At ball and chain pod. You and I had been very good about posting it on our individual Twitter feeds. You're at Steve Rush and I'm at Rebecca Lobo. And then for some reason, the past couple weeks, we haven't done that. Well, for, I, haven't and, for, I haven't for several months, yeah. only because I haven't posted anything on yeah. that inane site for... for Yes. More than, you know, once a week or so. Well, I I will make sure to post it every week on our Ball and Chain Twitter, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. And uh, if I remember, I will also post it um, at my personal Twitter feed, which is Rebecca Lobo. If you subscribe to it, it automatically downloads, does it not? Yeah, it does. But some people might not not subscribe for whatever reason. But yes, we will make sure to post it to the Twitter feed. But I don't subscribe to those people who don't don't subscribe. subscribe. Um, finally, for me anyway, um, Brian J. writes, Rebecca and Steve, while we never ranked our pantries, people are still sending me pictures of their pantries. I mean, pantries with an R. You're getting um, pantry pics? Yes, yes. Tom Jones, people threw panties onto the yes. stage. I get uh, people throwing their pantries uh, at me. <laughs> Rebecca and Steve, while we never ranked our pantries, primary, secondary, tertiary, etc., our entire basement is sort of a walk-in pantry, writes Brian J. So much so that our son's friends all say that when the zombie apocalypse happens, they're going to live it out in our basement. It sounds like a good basement. And, and, and actually, because our basement's so darn cold, we could even put the refrigerated stuff down here without the refrigerator. And we would be fine, too. I still have a couple more uh, viewer mails that came into the Twitter feed. One of them came from Mile High Hoop Fan. And uh, they sent a link to the story about a Colorado trail runner who killed a mountain lion with his bare hands this week after it attacked him. And Mile High Hoops Fan said, The two of you like to run. Curious to know which of you would be more likely to do the strangling. So do you want do you want to go first on this or should I? Absolutely, and it's it's an old joke, but it's true in my case. Uh, I don't have to outrun the mountain lion; I just have to outrun Rebecca, and I, I and I can do that, and she'll acknowledge that. And yes, you can do that. And we have an example of this. There's a nature preserve a mile from us, and there's great trails in there to go run. And we have gone running in there. And one of the times we were in there, and there was you know no other human being within sight for us. Ahead, maybe 300 yards, 200 yards, I believe it was a coyote that crossed our path. And I pointed out, and we're just jogging, and, and I pointed out the coyote. And I believe that was one of the instances where you turned around <laughs> and proved that you are a faster runner than me. So pre- I appreciate the way you, uh, you were going to protect me with your own hands from that coyote. I was eating a Slim Jim in my defense, so I needed to get, get out of there. <laughs> Colorado reminds me. Last week, this came into viewer mail, and somehow it didn't get in my viewer mail pile that I printed out 10 seconds before we came down to the basement. Melissa in Colorado Springs sent an amazing photograph of, uh, of a donut place in Colorado Springs called the Hertz Donut Company. So there actually is a Hertz Donut. You can get a Hertz Donut. 
you know you what I'm talking actually, about? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Please. When you were a kid, nobody ever said, want a Hertz donut? No, never And then they punched you in the arm and said, Hertz donut, when you said yes? Oh, I, well, it makes sense to me, but no, no one ever said that to yeah. me. The other thing that this reveals is you never read Stingray Afternoons because it, it plays a role in, in the book. I did read Stingray Afternoons. But I you don't remember, don't remember the Hertz donut. I remember that particular part. Well, anyway, when I was a kid, people would say, you want a Hertz donut? The first time somebody would say yes, they'd hit him in the arm and say, Hertz donut. It's kind of like when somebody asked if you wanted ABC gum, and they took right. the gum out of their mouth and said it's already right. been chewed. Well, anyway, thank you, Melissa, for the Hertz Donut picture. And where is it in Colorado, did she say? Colorado Springs. Well, next time you and I are in Colorado Springs, we will definitely make it a point to go and get a Hertz Donut. All right, this is from Chris. Chris says, I finally convinced my wife to start listening to the pod. She now has something that makes her laugh through her weekly chemo treatment. Any chance some swag comes, some swag can make its way to to Florida. So anyway, I obviously responded and said, asked Chris to send their address to our Gmail account. And of course, we will send swag We've gotten to many, Florida uh, for his wife. We got some swag requests this week. Uh, I just sent some out last week. If you've made a request and haven't gotten it, it either hasn't gone out yet or uh, it got lost in the shuffle. But uh, send us a swag request and we'll send you swag. But I, I honestly, at least once a week, uh, a swag request comes in. Can you send me some swag in with, Virginia? With no you address. Have, yeah, you have to be more specific than that. <laughs> and uh, finally, you need an address. This is the last one I have. This came in from Shelly. And Shelly said, I just emptied the trash on my Mac. Sounded so crisp and clean. Love that crunch. So for those who have a Mac and understand, go clean out your trash and listen to the crunch. And for those who don't, find a friend with a Mac and all you have to do, or go into the Mac store and say, can I please just listen to the sound when you empty out the trash? And speaking of a crisp and clean sound, the crisp and clean harmonies of Tom, Dick, and Harry, it's time for them to play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fat. Road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity. To a daily test Androgynous and vigorous What we give for a little rest Stay by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane